Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. In John chapter 4, verse 35, we have Jesus recorded as, as saying the following. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Please be seated. When Jesus was on earth, he was among us about 12,000 days. He was about his father's business of preaching 1,200 days. And we have a record of about 60 of those days. When we do an analysis of what Jesus' priorities were, we find three things. One is relationship to his father. He got up a great while before day and went out into a solitary place and prayed. Mark 1.35, he stayed up all night before choosing the apostles, Luke 6.12, and prayed. He was always about his father's business. That's number one. Number two, mentoring the disciples, those that he would leave behind to do his work when he went back to heaven. You find an example of that in Matthew 16, where he took them on a retreat to Caesarea Philippi, and there discussed with them for the first time in detail his coming death and resurrection. And number three, saving souls. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus in the tree, he said, come down, I will stay with you, I'm going to your house. And in that context, Jesus, it was said of Jesus, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22 says that we are to walk in his steps, for he did no sin, he was guile found in his mouth. If we walk in the steps of Jesus, we will walk in steps that are close to God. If we walk in the steps of Jesus, we will leave the kingdom better than we found it by mentoring those who outlive us. And if we walk in the steps of Jesus, we will be about saving souls. Can the church grow in a secular environment? Are the fields really wide into harvest? Even in our generation, anthropologists tell us that we're now living in the post-Christian era in our country. There used to be an assumption that we could make that people respected the Bible, but that's not the case a lot of times today. It used to be the case that people grew up going to some kind of church for the most part, especially in the South, but again, that's not the case today. So does that mean that the the prospects of evangelism for the churches of Christ is dark and dim? Oh, far be it. Far far from it. The gospel has lost not one ounce of its power. Romans 1.16, it is the power of God. God's wisdom and power have not diminished as the years have come and gone. He is still all wise 
Romans 11.33, He's omnipotent. There's no power that God doesn't have. There's no dilemma that God ever said, "Mm, I don't know what to do about that. I wish I could help, but I can't. No, God has all power. Jesus is... Jesus' blood has not lost its efficacy. A person plunged beneath the waters of baptism will come up just as clean as anyone who was baptized in the early days of the church because it's the power of God into salvation. It's the power of Christ to remove sins, Ephesians 1.6. And there is a sense in which we have an advantage in this generation over previous generations. When does a light shine the brightest? When the sun is out? Or when it has grown dark? When it grows dark, the light stands against in contrast with the dark. When does love look the most beautiful? Surrounded by others who love or when contrasted with hate? Oh, love stands out in contrast. What about taste? Have you took a bite of something and you said, oh, this is bland or this doesn't taste that good? And then you put the salt on it. Do you notice a difference between those two bites? More so than if the salt had been added before, it stands out. So you... As a Christian, go out into your workplace, your community, your family, and live righteously. That's going to be a stark contrast to what many people are used to seeing from their coworkers and their classmates and their community members and sometimes even family members. So, can, can the church grow in a secular environment? Yes. The fields are white under harvest, even in a secular environment. Now, We'll see how these lessons progress time-wise. I've not ever done this series before, so we'll see. But the intent is to cover three ideas. In this hour, we're going to entitle this, and if you're taking notes, this will be the title. It's time to bring back amateur hour. It's time to bring back amateur hour. The other two lessons, if the church is going to grow in a secular environment, we have to fish in a bigger pond. And then if the church is going to grow in a secular environment, we have to hunt as a pack. And we'll explain those as the day progresses. But let's talk about amateur hour. It's my conviction that we have made evangelism too hard, too specialized, too personalized to a certain elite group in the church. If somebody walked in that door back there and you were greeting and that person asks ask you to point them to the person in this church that does evangelism. Who do I need to talk to? Would you try to find Glenn or Paul or one of the elders or maybe someone who's a deacon over mission work? Or, or would you say, I'll talk to you. That's my job here. That's my job. And there's that a person who's a member of this congregation It doesn't have that as a job. Judas did a lot of bad things. But once he asked a really good question, Lord, is it I? 
Matthew 26, 22. Lord, is it I? And the answer to that question when we say, Lord, is it I who can save a soul? Is yes. Because you're connected to the one who has the power to save. Because you know the message. Because you've obeyed it. To lead another to the same obedience and the same joy and the same hope. When Jesus was just 12 years old, He stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. They finally found Him on the third day. And His mother was a little upset, it seems to me. Why did you do this to us? And He, I see Him with a, with a surprised look on His face as He looked up from His conversation with the doctors. And He said, Wished you not that I must be about my Father's business? That's, uh, there's no capital, or there is a capital on the father there. It's not his, his stepfather Joseph's carpenter's business he's talking about. It's about his father's business. That is the reason he came to earth to seek and to save the lost. That, that word must is a modal verb. It means or indicates something that is a requirement. It's necessary. Jesus saw his Necessary purpose of being about his father's business. What's my necessary purpose? What's the requirement to be a Christian? Lord, is it I? I must be about my father's business. Now let's ask and answer four questions. I don't know that we'll get them all in this lesson, but over the day we'll finish them if we don't. But let's ask and answer these four questions. Number one, how involved... Am I willing to get? How involved am I willing to get? You know, there are different ways to analyze a congregation. You know, you can analyze based on activity level. You could click down about seven levels on that. One service a week, all services, all services plus social events, all services plus social events plus work events. Leadership or teacher level, personal evangelism level. Personal evangelism, personally initiated. That's the highest level, that's seven. Which means I don't need a program or someone pushing me or encouraging me. It's just who I am. It's one way to look at it, but let's look at it a different way. Let's talk about ten levels of evangelism in a church. Well, I said we made it too hard. Anybody in this, in these pew or in these chairs, can do the first five, probably the first seven of these. Doesn't matter if you're sitting over here among the young people and you were baptized last week. It doesn't mean if you're push, you're coming in with a walker because you know your health's not what it used to be and and uh, your 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 days are coming eventually to a close. You can be 12, 24, 43, 57, 69, or 99. And you can do these things. So let's talk about what they are. Everybody in the church, let's bring back amateur hour. Because everybody in the church can do something to evangelize this community and this world. Number one, these are the levels. I can't spend much time on them, but they're ten. Number one... The, the moral support level. 
That is, you are in you are a Barnabas of the social or the of the spiritual workers in the church. You're an encourager. That's Acts four thirty six. You have a good word to say. You know, we I finished up teaching Malachi this week. Malachi three about verse fifteen says that God in heaven noticed that there were some on earth, even though we're living under, worshiping under priests that were offering polluted bread and torn animals, and they, they weren't good examples, but they encouraged one another. God saw that in heaven. You could be an encourager. That's the first level. Anybody can do that. Number two, there is the good impression level. The greeting level. Somebody has has reached out to a friend maybe multiple times, but he or she has accepted an invitation to come to be in a church service. What impression will this... Well, well their friends have been praying about that. And uh, comes in the front door, comes in the side door. Who's going to be the first to meet them? Is it, will it be with a smile? Will it be with a handshake? Will it be, my name is... What's your name? Oh, we're glad. To, will it be... That means a lot to a person to be accepted. Have you ever been somewhere you weren't accepted? You felt awkward? You felt ill at ease? You felt like, oh, I wish I were somewhere else? We never want a person to come into this building that has any inkling of that feeling. So that's the second level. Anybody can do that. Be friendly. Be encouraging. Be on the lookout. If there's someone across the way you don't know, there's a way to fix that. Go shake a hand. Go say, and and the worst case is if somebody says, "I've been a member here a long time." <laughs> you just don't. You didn't. We haven't met yet. You know, sometimes in a large church, you can have that. But just smile, and next time you'll know them. I've learned this: if you embarrass yourself by forgetting a name, you won't forget it again. So you know, when you go to gospel meetings, you try to learn all these names. You forget one of the elders' names, you need to call him the wrong name. I did that the other day. Well, first time back, I'd been there before. I called him Brian. His name was Dan. You know, I called him, I called him Dan the rest of the weekend every time I saw him. I won't forget it again. It's okay. It's okay. Number three. Prayer level. A prayer level. We all ought to have a list of prospects that we're praying for. We want to be saved. Anybody can do that. And you, did you know that if you're, if you're a, a member of the family of God, that God tilts his head to hear your prayer. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be a super Christian. You don't have to be a missionary to have God's attention in prayer. God will honor the humble in prayer. And there's power in prayer. Luke 18, one, we ought always to pray and not to faint. So, is there anybody among the young people we're hoping that will be baptized? Is there a spouse coming with a spouse, maybe for a while, that we're hoping will make the decision to be a follower of Christ and unite that family in faith? Is there someone that uh, has been mentioned in your circle of friends that uh, I'm, I'm trying to bring my friend and I really want you to meet her when she comes. She's a wonderful person. She'd be a great Christian. I really am hopeful that will happen. Are you praying about that? Next level is money level. You know, some of us don't have much of that. But some people just, they just have a knack. Started a business, it took off, they got three different businesses, they're all successful, the money's come in, and money's not the problem. Maybe that's something I could contribute to the support of the missionaries and the 
local evangelism, money level. Uh, Romans 12, we may get to Romans 12 today. Romans 12, 4 to 8 talks about he that giveth with simplicity. No strings attached. Here, this is God's money. Use it for good. Next level. Reporting slash introducing level. Reporting slash, what is that? You know, this is where we've made evangelism something specialized when it's not just that. We, we think of evangelism sitting down at someone's kitchen table and pulling out our OBS or back to the Bible or turning on the Jill Miller or, you know, one of those methods that we use with an open Bible looking someone in the face who needs to learn and obey. That's not all evangelism is. It also is not enough to set a good example. We can set a good example for here to doomsday, and people aren't going to learn what to do to be saved until we open our mouths and teach them. It's not enough to say, well, I live a good example before my family. That's great. We can't teach effectively if that's not the case, but eventually we're going to have to talk. But it may not be now, and it might not be me to do it. What is the reporting level? It's just talking about what's going on with the, with the Christians. You know, you work across the assembly line or the desk or on the sales floor with somebody every day. You know, yesterday at church, we had this, uh, our, our preacher preached on this, and I had never heard a sermon on this before. Have you ever heard a sermon on this? You're not trying to get a response. You're not trying to teach them right there. You're just engaging in friendly conversation. We had a sermon about, and you talk about it. Have you ever heard about that? I had not heard. No, I never heard of it. Or you could say, you know, I was reading my Bible, and I'm over in Ezekiel. Have you ever read Ezekiel? I just taught Ezekiel. It's the first time I ever went through that book. It's a great book, but it's a hard book. And I read about this uh, wheel within a wheel. You know what that means? And you can honestly say, I don't really know what that means. I'm looking for some answers. Well, that's okay. They don't. They may not know. They probably don't. But you started a religious conversation. You're just reporting. Or you talk about, boy, I got sick and sister so-and-so from church, she brought me the best, the best meal. She is so sweet. I wish you'd meet her. She just, you'd love her. Reporting, reporting, just saying good things. The early church had favor with all the people. How did they do that? Acts 2, 46, 47. What about introduction level? Introduction level... Introduce them to another member of the church. How do you do that? Um, I was going to cover this in the third lesson, but since I've gotten to this detail, we're just, we just won't do all four questions, but we'll do them in the other lesson. Let me go ahead and break this down a little bit since we're there. Okay, let's say you've got a friend that you've been inviting services, and uh, maybe he's even come once or twice, and you say, it would really help if he knew one of the elders of the church, you know, that he's just a very personable guy. And, you know, the more people that someone knows when they come in, the more comfortable they feel. So if you're the only one they know here, and you get called up to lead a prayer, or you got to be doing, you know, you have responsibilities. But if they know other people, they, they feel comfortable. So the more people they know, the better. So let's say you've got a friend you want to introduce some church members to. 
Well, you can do that by inviting them to a church event. That's a great way because they meet a lot at one time. But what about this? You say you're working on a deck at your house and you say, you know, I could use another. My son's going to come over and help me. If we had two skill saws, we'd be really able to get this thing knocked out. I only have one. I bet my buddy would let me borrow his. So you go, and before you go, you call up your, the elder and you say, what, you, what are you doing? You busy right now? No, I got, I got time. What's on your mind? He said, well, I want you to meet a friend of mine. And I'm going over there today. I'm going to borrow his skill saw, and uh, I'd like for you to ride with me, if you will. And maybe we'll make another visit or two. So, yeah, come by and get me. So he goes by, and you go by and get him. Maybe you go by, and you check on a widow on the way, and then you go over, and uh, your, your buddy's out mowing the grass, and you wave him down, you know, and he cuts it off and comes up, and he says, what? So I want to introduce you to somebody. We've been out visiting. This is Jim. Jim, Jim goes to church with me. Jim, Jim's a member of the congregation where I go. And he, he gets out and he comes around and he shakes his hand. Well, Jim works at, uh, don't you work? Yeah. My son works out there. Are you kidding me? What do you think about the, what, you know, before long they got a conversation going. And they really hit it off. Because that's the way elders are. You know, you just like them when you're around them. That's the introduction of members level. Same level as reporting for our list. Next one is this, invitation level. John 146, come and see. You know, you don't know how, you don't have to be able to answer all the questions that somebody might have on baptism to be able to say, why don't you come sit with me Sunday? Anybody can do that. And there are people that you could say, would you come sit with me Sunday for family and friend day? That if anybody else in this church built, in this congregation invited them, they would say no. But they would say yes to you. Because you're their friend. The invitation level. The next one. Personal study level. This is where it has to get eventually, but it doesn't have to be you. It may be that you could be the silent partner and would need to be in this because the comfort level would be better if you were in the study. But you might say something like, oh, you know, you've been visiting... Uh, for a while now, and oh, you'd make a great, we'd love to have you as a member. Have you thought about that? Well, yeah, I was, I was kicking it around a little bit. Well, I tell you what, um, we got a guy who, who that's what he does. <laughs> you know? Let, let me, let me invite him over. We'll, we'll have some coffee and cake and just let him go over a few things about being a member of the church or the Church of Christ. That sounds good. One would be good. Set up time, it comes up. Next thing you know, you got a, a Bible study. And they're saying, I never saw this before. This is so exciting. And next thing you've, you've gone up and witnessed a new birth in the family of God. Bible study. You could say this. I don't know. I'm doing that for memory, so I might have loved it. Did you get ten? Eight? However many it is. <laughs> it's enough. Close? All right. We'll take it. But here's one to, here's one to add to it. This is just a summary one. <clears throat> um, a guy called, I said this in a meeting somewhere, and a guy called me that came up with this, wrote a book about this. So I got to talk to him. But there are three 
every congregation has three different kinds of evangelists. Bringers, teachers, and keepers. Bringers. You know what's the hardest thing for a lot of preachers? It's not teaching the Bible, of course, to someone who needs it. That's not hard. The hardest thing is getting the contact. Getting to someone to sit down and do, because they might not have grown up in the community. They may be relatively new here. There may be a little bit of standoffishness with a preacher anyway. I don't know about that. Maybe intimidation or maybe a little bit of, you know, our culture's changed its view of, of preachers. So, anyway, so bring yours. Bring somebody. Bring somebody to a study. Bring somebody to services. Anybody can do that. Number two, teachers. You don't have to be a preacher, a Bible teacher, a missionary, an elder to do a Bible study. You know, all the methods that I mentioned earlier, anybody could do them. You just go down the list, read the scripture, and circle the answers, you know. And if they if they ask you a question and you don't know, you know what you say? I don't know. <laughs> but I tell you what, I'll find out. And that builds respect. Because you didn't bluff. Don't bluff. Just say, I'll find out. That's a good question. I wish I did know, but I will know. You know, that when we get back together, we'll talk about it. And you move on to the next question. That's simple. Then uh, keepers. It surely is a shame to bring somebody in that door. They're baptized up there. And then here in about a month, they've gone out the side door and we don't see them anymore. What good did that do? Well, the latter end is worse than the beginning for someone who's, who forsakes Christ. 2 Peter 2, 20-22. Now, we may be able to get them back. They certainly have, you know, I'm not saying that that's the end of the world. We, there's no hope. But I'm saying that we need people to help keep people. Every new convert needs seven friends in the church to stay. I don't know who came up with that. But that's, that's a number that's thrown around a lot. So I want to be one of the seven. I might not be good at studying the Bible. I might be too timid to invite people to... But, you know, I like... I, I, I can talk to people. And I I like to eat. I'll invite somebody over to eat. Or, you know, I'm always going golfing, hunting, basketball, whatever it is. And let's see if he might want to go too. Bringers, teachers, and keepers. Second question. What time am I quitting here? Is it time? <laughs> where's, uh, where's the other guy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, 10 after. All right. Let me go to the second question then. But before I go, let me give you uh, two more scriptures on how involved am I willing to get. First one is 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord inasmuch as we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Always abounding. That's where we want to be, that level. Number two, uh, scripture-wise, Esther 4.14. Who knows whether thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this? You might disagree with what I'm about to say, and that'd be okay. It seems to me like God's providence may be more active than we sometimes give Him credit for. If God needs somebody to... Okay, let me say it this way. There's somebody over on this side of town who gets down on her knees and prays, God, lead me to some soul today. 
Teach me, Lord, just what to say. There's somebody on the other side of town that's reading a Bible. I wish I knew what this meant. I wish I knew. God, help me understand. Does God hear a sinner's prayer? No. But does God know the sinner wants to know His will? Yes. Do you think that God might be able to arrange a meeting between those two? I believe so. And sometimes God opens doors and we walk right by them because we don't look for them. But when we look for them, He may open it you know, another day and we, then we see it. Alright, number two. We got about seven minutes. <clears throat> Second question is this. What am I willing to risk? Dr. Bob Cox was involved in the, universe, in the uh, Texas State University education system. He did a uh, survey of, it was of movements and businesses. What he discovered is that movements and businesses go through three cycles in a life, in their life. First is risk-taking. An idea pops up, you know, this, is, this, will, this will really work. So they invest time and after hours and weekends and personal money and blood, sweat and tears and they get the idea off the ground. They're risk, they're willing to go talk to people about it. They're venture capitalists. They're getting risk taking. Hiring people, going out on a limb, borrowing money. They're getting risk taking. Eventually it lands. It's done very well. So they move into the second stage, which is caretaking. Status quo, don't rock the boat, we've got our market share, no risk taking or minimal risk taking. And then it shifts into the third category, which is undertaking. Somebody else is young and hungry with a similar idea that's beating the bushes or working the weekends and is taking that market share. Same thing happens in churches. Risk-taking. There should be a congregation in this town. You know, there's four families that live and we're driving, you know, 45 minutes. Boy, we could really reach more people if we, if we were right here with in this. And so you say, what about it? You think we could start it? So let's talk to the elders if they'll support it. They're for it. So, church plant. Knocking on doors, passing out flyers, talking it up at school. You know, we've got a new congregation starting on this date. We, we, we want to have a hundred people there. Would you come and help us reach our goal? Bible studies taking place. Children's events planned. Risk taking. Reputation, money, time. We have people in my, our living room because we don't have somewhere else to meet yet. But then it, it takes off. It does well. It grows. We, we rent a building, then we buy a building, and then we have elders and Bible classes for all ages, and we hire a preacher, and you know, it's down the road a little bit, and, and now it's uh, status quo. 
Don't rock the boat, preacher. Let's go door knocking and say, well, oh, mama, I know, I don't know. We need extra money because we want to do this. Uh, let somebody else do it. Caretaking. And how long does it take before you move into undertaking? And those pews that used to be full are now scattered. Used to be too many teachers, now we don't have enough. Used to be I only got to serve during the worship, you know, like one month out of six. But now I'm up there three times in a service. You know, the good thing is we can move back to risk-taking. It's a decision. So what am I willing to risk? I'll click these off without much discussion. But one, will I risk my comfort zone? Will I risk my comfort zone? In the call of Isaiah, he said, Hear my Lord, send me. Isaiah 6 8. Hear my Lord, send the preacher. Hear my Lord, send somebody else. Hear my Lord, send me. Send me. Lord, is it I? Number two. Am I willing to risk my reputation? Well, so far I've been able to keep the people at work from knowing that I'm a Christian. What? <laughs> well, if they knew, they'd, they'd, boy, I'd be the butt of the jokes, I tell you that. Boy, they would. So I just, I just mind my business, do my work, and that's what I do. The disciples were willing to be, the apostles were willing to be the off scouring of the earth. 1 Corinthians 4.13. They accounted it themselves blessed to be able to suffer shame for his name. I think that's Acts 4.29. Jesus said, When I come again, I'll be ashamed of those who were ashamed of me. Mark 8.38. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and salvation. Romans 1.16. A lot of verses like that. So am I willing to risk my reputation? Sometimes in our families, if I bring this up in a friendship, if I talk about this, I don't know which way it will go. I don't want to lose my friendship. Am I willing to risk it? Am I willing to risk my money? That's Hebrews 34 to 39, they were willing to have their goods confiscated. Now, we don't live in that kind of uh, society, but we do live in a society where you could get fired. And that's another way to take your money, right? Stop giving you your paychecks. So, well, I would talk about it, but I don't want to lose my job. Well, there's a time and a place. I'm not saying go in tomorrow and get fired. It may be that there's a better time to do it. But am I willing to do it if it's necessary to save a soul? Am I willing to risk persecution? Acts 3, well really the whole book of Acts. Am I willing to risk death? Acts 15, 26, these have hazarded their lives for the gospel. Hazarded their lives. I had dinner with a, a man who had done mission work 
overseas. And while he was there, he contracted something. Disease, some kind of, I don't know what to call it. He lost a lot of weight. He'd been to doctors all over the place. They couldn't determine what it was. I don't know if he's still alive. His hopes were not positive when we had supper together. But you know what he was doing not long after that meeting ended? Going on another mission trip. If he's not still alive, he's in a whole lot better place. Isn't he? And if he is, I suspect he'll be on a mission trip this year. It's all the time we have. I want to extend the Lord's invitation. If you're not a Christian this morning, the best decision you'll ever make in the history of your decisions is to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Now, to do that, we have to know who Jesus is and what He did. The Son of God who lived among us, died for us. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Once you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the next thing He requires is to turn away from sin, to be righteous. That's Luke 13, 3. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So, would you be willing to turn away from sin? Sin will never do anything good for you in the long run. It's pleasurable in the short term, but its consequences are always negative in the long run. Would you be willing to let other people know of your faith? Not to be a secret disciple, John 12, 42, but to be a bold one. And to tell this group of people here and anybody else you ever meet, I'm a Christian. That's confession of His name. Matthew 10, 32. You could do that. And there would be a lot of happy people in this room to hear you say that. But we don't really matter so much as the happiness that would be in heaven when you say that. And then you could be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, at which time God will place the blood of His Son upon the sin of your soul. Wash away every sin. Acts 22.16 Trans, Translate you, transplant you from the world to His church, adopt you as His Son, give you a ticket to heaven, and look forward to the day that you cross over the threshold. That's what would happen, spiritually speaking, if you are baptized today. Acts 2.38 and 22.16. If you haven't been a faithful Christian, you say, you know, I'm ready to be right. I'm ready to, to change my life and I'm going to start right here, right now, today. What's required? Repent of sins. What's required? Confess sins. What's required? Prayer about sins. And that's it. Then reformation of life follows that. That's James 5.16. If either of those sounds like something that would improve your life, and give you hope, you may come while we stand and as we sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.